0: So Saul has been rejected by God as king over Israel. And then he sends Samuel to Jesse's house. Jesse is the father of David. <clears throat> Jesse is told by Samuel to bring all your sons in. He says, bring them all before me. And, uh, and here's the thing. Jesse doesn't feel that it's necessary to even bring David in from the fields. You know, David is the shepherd. doesn't even feel it's necessary to bring him in from the fields. Jesse, in Jesse's eyes, David doesn't really have what it takes. David doesn't really get a second thought from Jesse when it, when it comes to impressing people of power, people of any circumstance. In 1 Samuel 16, 6, it says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Because this guy is, you know, you can just imagine, you know, he's, a, he's older and he's, he's a good-looking guy and he's, he's got all that it takes. And, and Samuel sees him and he's like, they, 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 this must be the guy, this must be the man that God sent me here to anoint as the new king over Israel. But then in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, It goes on to say, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God always majors on the majors. Always. He majors on the majors. doesn't focus on the minor things in life. In last year's Britain's Got Talent, there was a young man who got into the competition. His name was Jonathan. And Jonathan walked out onto the stage. And as he walked out, Simon just had this look of, oh, you've got to be kidding me on his face. And he leans over to one of his other fellow judges and he says, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse. And out comes Jonathan, 17-year-old, overweight singer, hair long, unstyled. The studio audience, after Simon asked him a question, do you think you can win? He said to to Jonathan, he was singing with another woman, he said, you know, you sound pretty shy, you seem pretty shy. And Jonathan, it was pretty shy. He started talking and the studio audience started smirking and people were kind of quietly laughing. People had looks of disbelief on their face that this person would actually come out here and, and do this. And they all, everyone had pretty much resigned themselves to the fact this person was going to make a total fool of themselves. He was going to embarrass himself and then leave. So that someone with real talent could get up there and sing and impress them. But instead, this is what happened. You really need to get to know them. It's not, as cliches. it's not judging a book by its cover. You've got, you've got to read what's inside. Charlotte's been a
1: really big help for me in terms of confidence and making me a better performer and I really don't think I'd be going up on stage today if I didn't have Charlotte by my side And do you think you could win?
0: Yeah, together
1: (laughs) Alright, good luck Thank you Thank
0: you Here we go tend to judge a book by its cover. We major on the minors like it's our job. I mean we really do. It's it's something I think within each one of us sometimes that just seems to 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 come out and it has an effect on each of our lives. But if we truly want to build relationships, meaningful, healthy relationships, we need to look at situations, at people with different eyes. And I'm not just talking about appearance. I mean, how often, for example, have you been around someone who's behaved a certain way? And instead of thinking, I don't really want any part of that person, I, I'm going to write this person off. Instead of doing that, you ask yourself, why do they act that way? What has caused them to behave in that manner? Taking the time to look below the surface and see the person, understand the person, and what they've been through in their lives, instead of always judging By first appearance or by first action and the minor things there are so many minor things where We throw the baby out with the bathwater this morning. We want to ask the question Deb and I want to ask the question. What really matters in life? What really matters in relationships? What are the majors and what are the minors? What are the important things in life in first Samuel chapter 16? God pretty much gives us the answer God looks at the heart our God looks at the heart If we are if we are concerned when we're concerned about building healthy relationships with our children motivating our employees Building deeper more meaningful relationships with our friends strengthening our marriages then my friends. We need to ask the right questions We need to drill a little bit deeper We need to go just a little bit deeper the first thing we need to ask is, Is that person have a, a love for God? Is there, is there that, that, that love for God in their hearts? And if they have that love for God, how is that reflected on how they treat other people? the love and the compassion they have for those around them. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing in life? What are the most important things? And the Pharisee said that to him. Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 22 was this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the answer to the question. That's what Jesus said. Those are the traits. Those are the characteristics that we should, should receive most of our attention as we're interacting with others, as we're building those relationships. Those are the things that really, really matter. So how do we major on the majors and not major on the minors? And what are the majors and the minors? Well, let me start with the minors. A couple got back from their honeymoon. They sat down with the two of us and they said, um, we had a disagreement uh, you know, on, our, on our honeymoon. And here was a disagreement. Um, When he got out of the shower, he was in the shower and got out of the shower, he dried himself off on the bath mat of the shower. She was shocked. Everyone knows that you dry yourself off in the shower. And then you get out of the shower and the bath mat should stay dry. Some of you are like, exactly. Why are you laughing? (laughs) I mean, that's exactly how it should happen, right? That's a minor, and it was a minor in their relationship, too, but it was a minor. Another minor is where you squeeze the toothpaste in the tooth, right? That's a, some of you, that's a big deal. I'm telling you, it's a minor. Where the toilet paper comes out from the top or from the bottom. Can you please just turn the toilet paper over? Because where you grew up, that's the way it was done. It was coming from the top. What is wrong with these people that come from the bottom, right? These are my men, amen, exactly, Exactly. These are minors. Parents, go; they have endless battles, endless battles over hair preferences, food preferences, messy rooms and clothing options and, 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 and f- forms of music, different kinds of music. Some parents, they, they feel like their kid's going to go down the slippery slope to destruction if they don't eat all their carrots. You've got to eat all those Carrots. I sat there for hours when I was like four years old because I would not eat my string beans, would not eat them. And I'm alive today to talk about it. (laughs) I have survived not eating string beans. And I wouldn't eat them for the longest time, even though I liked them, just to make a point. Um, Now I eat them. But I would not eat those string beans, and I turned out to be a pastor. (laughs) Now, I know... I know I know that some of those things can become you become important in someone's life I know that sometimes they could be a reflection of what's going on inside clothes and and music I understand that don't get me wrong. I understand that but we need to make sure we put those things in the right perspective We need to make sure because if our children are getting or doing well in school if they're they're not getting into um, destructive behavior, if they're spiritually growing, then we need to make sure that we're not focusing our attention and giving those things too much uh, of our effort. Because, again, if they're not reflecting something else, those things are minor. Don't put too much emphasis on them. My point is this. A messed up room does not always reflect a messed up life. A messed up room does not always... Refen- now, now, listen, for all you students out there, go home and clean your room, okay? Clean your room. This is not... Pa- See, Jeff- Pastor Jeff said it was a minor. It looks fine. Let's not get worked up, Mom and Dad. No, go home and clean your room because your parents say that you should clean your room, and that is a major because you're supposed to obey your parents. But those, my friends, you know what I'm talking about here. We can't major on the minors and destroy relationships over things that aren't that important, Just because, just because they dress like their friends doesn't mean they don't love God anymore and they're on their way to prison. You know what I mean? That's not it it doesn't mean that just because they they don't. Here's here's the reality. Your kid can be a a, a conformist on the outside and maybe the way they dress, for example, but a nonconformist on the inside. Just just because your child is wearing the same clothes as a friend doesn't mean they have the same values as that friend. Just because they're wearing something similar or listening, maybe something similar, doesn't mean they have the same values. You need to dig below the surface and ask those questions, because those are the majors. Those are the majors. So ask the right questions. Listen, I love cardigans, all right? I love cardigans. When's the last time you saw me wearing a cardigan? Long time ago. I still have them in the basement in one of those Tupperware things, because I love cardigans, all right? But, but they're kind of, they, the reason I don't wear them anymore is they went out of style. So I'm not going to wear the cardigans. Now, I saw Chris Cox wearing one last week, and I was happy, happy, happy. I was very, <laughs> I was like, thank you, God, because Chris is pretty cool. So I figure if Chris is starting to wear them again, I'm going to dust mine off, because mine are like vintage cardigans. I'm going to look really cool like a vintage cardigan, because vintage is cool. And now cardigans are coming back, so I'm going to look really, really, really good. I mean, think about it. Why do you wear what you wear to work or to wherever you go? Why do you wear that tie? Why do you wear those shoes, right? Aren't we we conforming to the styles of those around us? And if we are, does that mean we have less integrity and less character and less individuality? Is, Is that what it really means? Does it mean we're less godly? If I dress in a way that kind of matches the other people around me, does that mean that I'm less godly? No, it means that I basically want to fit in to the people around me so I don't look dumb. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't want to, I will stand up for all kinds of things and you can boy, throw, shoot arrows at me and whatever you want to do, but at the end of the day, I don't want to look dumb by dressing in something that looks kind of foolish. I remember when I was four years old, my parents sent me to school in a pair of boots I was four. This is grained in my brain. And I came home from school after everybody picked on me for my boots. My parents gave me the brilliant advice that said, listen, as long as you're comfortable in those boots, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. Well, I'm not too comfortable. I'm being tortured all day about my boots. Buy me a new pair of boots, man. I don't want to wear these boots. I'm not comfortable. I'm sweating. I'm freaked out. Everybody doesn't like me because of my boots. Change my boots. Right? It doesn't mean it's 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 just it's just boots But it matters and it doesn't mean that i'm going down a slippery slope minors. Listen Minors not majors minors often come and go they come and go with age and maturity. Think about it What was your favorite music when you were six years old? What was your favorite music when you were 15 years old? Are you still playing that music in your car today? Some of you, are like, yeah, I am. When no one else is around, the kids are out of the car. I'm like headbanging. Nah, 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 nah. Your car's like making that annoying noise, like you put the bass real on high. That's you at like forty something years old. The bass is on there, right? Hey, you're doing it. You're having a good time. Uh, truth be told, here's what some of you guys actually do. You tell your kids, hey, we're going to go out to Montgomery Inn. And we're going to have you know a nice meal. Never we're going to go to movies. We're going to hang out at the movies, see a movie. Oh great, have a great time. And what you really do is you sneak back to the roller skating rink, right, right, and you pay a guy an extra twenty bucks to put on your favorite song. Donna Summer, last dance, last chance for love. And you're with your wife and you're going backwards because you're so cool with your your skates on her thing. Now, you know, anybody my age knows you did that. You know songs, come on. That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing, right? Now, most of you are actually thinking, you know what, really, here's my life, Pastor Jeff. I'm in my minivan now and I'm listening to the Wiggles. Fruit salad, yummy, yummy. Where's Jeff? Now it's sucking your head. Easy sleep in that side. It's sucking your head now. I know. I've tortured you. Right? No, we 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 put some of those things aside. Truth be told, truth be told, my favorite music when I was 15 was Queen. And in my 20s and I can't believe I'm admitting this, I liked Air Supply. All right? Yeah. <laughs> I got some people with me. Some of the kids are like, Air Supply? Who's Air Supply? <laughs> but listen, I have matured. I have aged and matured. Now I realize what perfection is in life. Perfection is a pair of 1980s faded and ripped jeans with an old sweatshirt eating Grater's black raspberry chip ice cream or listen to Nat King Cole or Karen Carpenter. Now we're talking about truly that's what perfection is, right? If you don't know who Nat King Cole is or or Karen Carpenter, go online, look them up, listen to it, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. That, my friends, is perfection to me. I mean, that's what we change, we grow. Things like these minor things are going to come and go. That's my point. They're going to come and go. They're not that important. They're not that significant in our lives. We get, we get caught up in the unimportant things. We get so caught up in things that don't matter. You know, I find that if people don't have something to worry about, they create things to worry about. How about you? Do you do that? And, you know, don't raise your hand. But that, don't you do that in your life sometimes? If things are going pretty well, it's almost like you need to come up with something to worry about. I have seen people destroy perfectly good relationships. ...over minor issues. I have seen people give up... ...or almost give up really good jobs... ...because they didn't really like the way their boss did such and such, so and so. I had a a student of mine. He went into into youth ministry. And he came down and he was talking to me about... ...this was years ago. And he said, I'm thinking about leaving this, this church... It was a larger church. It was a, it was a decent church. And he said, I'm just not really sure about how they're doing this and that and the other thing. And I talked to him. I said, let's really think about what we're talking about here. Are there any major issues, spiritual issues, on the staff of the church? Well, no, not really. Is anybody doing anything illegal, immoral, unethical? No, not really. I said, you stay right where you are. Don't lose a, a great opportunity over, over a minor. These are minors. Just get yourself in the right place change your attitude, and go in there and give it 100%. If, if something becomes a major, then you walk away, but if not if things are minors, and we do that all the time. Majoring on the minors steals our joy and wastes so much of our time. Life will never be perfect, and nor will the people around you. And the sooner you figure that out, and what's truly important, the more joy, the more peace, the more contentment you're going to have in your life. We need to figure those things out. For example, I know our kids can sometimes be forgetful and and, and inconsistent. But my friends, that is not a heart issue. That is an age issue. You think about this. How many of us think about this? We are, we are often training up our children or telling our children to do things that have t- taken us years to master, to learn, right? And sometimes we're trying to teach our children or we're trying to teach the people around us in your workplace or whatever else, things that you're still working on, that you have not perfected, right? Right? Help them grow. Help them grow. See, the same principle I'm describing here applies in any relationship. How often do we throw the baby out with the bathwater when people don't live up to our expectations? When the people around us are not living up to all of our expectations? Listen, if people have a grip on the important things in life, then you need to be patient with the unimportant things that go on in people's lives. It's okay. You know, if someone's doing something, it's okay to sit down with them and be honest with them and help them to grow. Therein lies the problem. People do minor things that layer on top of the other, and then it becomes a big problem. If we would be honest and address those things, you could help people grow And strengthen that relationship that you have with them. I call it being being a visionary of people. There are people who are visionaries. But we need to be a visionary of people. We need to see that person as God created them. And help them become that person. Help them get there. Help them get to that place in their lives. The best way to help people change... The best way to help people change is to live out what you want them to be in your own life. Live out the action. Be really clear, very clear with them what you'd like to see change. And then live that action out in your own life. I think many people would agree with Lord Byron who said this, Think not I am what I appear. Think not I am what I appear. We are all on a spiritual journey. We are all becoming. Let's help each other get there. Now, those are some of the minors, some of the minors. So what are the majors? Deb is going to come and share some of the majors.
1: Last week um, during our sermon and on Wednesday night, we shared about how because of our crazy childhoods, we both individually and then together as a couple, look to the scripture to figure out what is this supposed to look like? How are we supposed to have healthy relationships? So what does that look like as a husband, as a wife, as a mom, as a friend? And so we had a lot of people ask us, actually, how did you do that? So part of what I want to do today is just kind of walk through that with you. I want to share four majors with you, but I want to also explain and share a lot of verses with you um, that where, where we learned how to have better relationships. And so I'm going to share a lot Um, But if you want to remember four things that you can look um, at this week or whenever it's convenient for you, there's Philippians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 4, and Galatians chapter 5. Say that again Philippians 2, Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, and Galatians 5. And these are just written through great, great. Letters that help you live out your Christian life, and especially in the context of relationships and dealing with other people. So as majors, what we're talking about here is these are things that you should look to extend in your relationships, but also things that you're looking to expect, that you're looking to receive in relationships. So you want to work to cultivate these things. That means you need to take responsibility to create a climate in which these things can grow. The first one we're going to talk about is honesty. And I think that you know probably everyone would go, yeah, honesty is good in a relationship, yet... Not one of us in this room is completely honest all the time. Not one of us. But we would agree that it's a huge major. In Colossians 3, 9 through 10, it says, Do not lie to each other. In case you were wondering how God felt about it, he's pretty direct. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with his practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Basically, if you're a Christian, don't lie to each other. And you'll say, sure, in our close relationships, that's really important, right? But, you know, what about with the people out here? Ephesians 4.25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. This is just one of the analogies in Ephesians 4 of us being a body. Proverbs 12.22 says, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Honesty builds trust. And that's essential in any strong relationship. Obviously, trust is a huge thing in a relationship. And as a parent, you want to teach honesty as black and white. There should be no gray. There is either truth or not truth. When our kids, in our home, we have a zero-tolerance policy for honesty, and I want to explain why. When our kids were dishonest about something small, we did not help them feel better about it. We did not help them explain it away. I wanted them especially to feel the complete weight of that, to have a super sensitive conscience about honesty because dishonesty is at the root of every destructive relational behavior. Everything that destroys a relationship has its root in dishonesty. So I wanted my little teeny toddlers to tell the truth and my preschoolers. It was a huge thing for us. We cultivated that in a huge, huge, huge way. So I want to talk about dealing with the little things that you may be tempted to let slide. So I want to tell you a story about Kimmy, my firstborn beautiful daughter. Um, she went through this phase, and we moved here when she was four. So she had to be three or four around this age. And see, I get permission, just so you all don't get nervous, all the moms out there. I get permission for every story I tell. That's why we had to have the rule over here, Mr. Excited Pants, when he gets up here. He had to have a $10 thing when he says the names <laughs> without asking. That's where that came from. So I, I have permission. Um, so Kimmy went through this phase when she was little and said she would just blame Jen for everything, which somehow Josh acquired when he was old enough to talk at, like, one. He was talking in sentences. And whenever we didn't know what happened, he would say, Jen did it. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Like, seriously, Jen was married for, like, two years. And Jeff was like, Josh, where is that Jen? Put it over there. Jen Jen's doesn't gone. live here, honey. <laughs> He's like, well, she's here a lot, so it was her. It was Jen. So Kimmy was blaming Jen at this point, who was like one, you know, they're only not even two years apart, so she's tiny, and she's just blaming her for things, and I remember thinking, like, I don't want her to, you know, drink, I did, she couldn't drink soda, I didn't want her drinking caffeine when she was little, so she would, I'd come in and half my Diet Coke was gone, Kimmy, did you drink this? No. No, it was Jen. So, the pinnacle of, of this little phase she was going through is, we, we lived in a house, I have to tell you, in Marblehead, Massachusetts, which is north of Boston, And there's maybe some really tall dudes that build things there, but the counter was seriously high, like up to here, at my ribs. And the shelf, the first shelf of the cabinet, I could reach, but I could not reach the second shelf. I had a stool to reach my second shelf, and they went way up. It was ridiculous. That's why I married somebody tall, because you can't reach anything at this. I'm wearing heels. It's ridiculous. So... I was really worried about her fall, climbing up on the counters, so I just kept saying, don't climb. She was a little daredevil. She was the kid who could, like, get out of a, a car seat in, like, six seconds. We went to Toys R Us to try every single car seat, and the guy who has no children says, oh, we have the new five-point harness. I'm like, let me just set my clock. Hold on. <laughs> like, six seconds. She's out of this thing. I don't know what she She's just crazy, crazy climber. So I did not want her up on this really high counter, because all I could picture was breaking whatever you fall on when you come down. So she, comes in to, she came in and said, Mommy, can I please have some cookies? I said, No, honey, we're having dinner in about a half an hour, but you can have cookies after dinner. Well, being the, we used to call her the little general because she has quite the strong will. So she just took matters into her own hands, and she said, Okay, Mom, and smiled at me, got the right response. And she walked into the kitchen, and a few minutes later, she came back into the family room where we were sitting, and she had crumbs all over her mouth. And I said, Kimmy you get cookies? No. I'm like, well, you can't blame Jen because you know. <laughs> so I said, Gimme, there are crumbs on your mouth," and she goes, oh. "She's wiping them off." And then I said, "Kimberly, did you climb on the counter?" Because that was clearly worse than getting cookies. And to her big green eyes. This is exactly what she did and said. No, (laughs) I promise you, I'm like, waiting. what is she going to say? I growed up big and I got the cookies and then I growed back down again. (laughs) I'm like, are you kidding me? And I'm trying to like, this is uh, zero tolerance. This is honesty. Two (laughs) lies, two for one special. And you know, this is like science fiction too. Where are you coming up with this? (laughs) I mean, two points for creativity, but no lying. And I'm trying to be all straight-faced, and my partner in parenting here falls off of his chair. He's laughing so hard. He's on the floor <laughs> laughing. I'm like, this is not helpful. She was so
0: cute. She was so cute.
1: Those little cheeks and those giant green eyes. I grew up big. So I'm thinking, clearly we need to address this because the line is getting a little bit bigger than I thought. So... Hey, pastor's wife, the light bulb goes on. Let's try scripture since clearly two weeks of mom talking to you is not making this go away. So this is what I read to her. Proverbs 6:16 6, through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflicting community. And I, and I talked to her, and I explained to her, notice that two out of the seven have to do with real action. Five out of the seven have to deal with the heart and relationship and truth and honesty. Haughty eyes, I explained to her, was that when you knew in your heart you were getting away with something and you just looked at the person because you knew you were getting away with it. It was that sin in your heart a lying tongue, a heart that devises wicked schemes, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community, which generally, in our experience, that person is usually mm-hmm. usually handling half-truths. The good thing is this worked really, really well. Since that day, my preschooler has been the world's worst liar ever. And I tell this story because I think it's hilarious how, I mean, I'm a really all-in, proactive mom, and parenting and I spent all of my time at this point with high schoolers so I was parenting from that point backwards so I was very on it and I'm thinking I would made no dent in this behavior and I took out the scripture and I am NOT kidding from that moment on Kim has been the world's worst liar so much so that in youth group if she was playing two truths and a lie cake all over her face <laughs> if she's playing mafia forget it she can't even bluff at a card game she's terrible it's terrible which I love, that's great (laughs) that the scripture worked that well. We know how refreshing honesty is in a relationship, but I think I found this verse in Proverbs, and I thought, even Proverbs agrees. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. That's pretty good. That's a good motivation, right? Okay, healthy communication number two, the next major. We need to be cultivating healthy communication in all of our relationships. Colossians 4, chapter 6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Think about all the words that you use in a day. Are they building each other up? Are they beneficial? Is it what somebody needs to hear or what you want to say? What we need to be doing in our relationships is showing respect, expecting respect. We need to listen carefully we need to work on our nonverbals. We talk about this in our premarital counseling class. Only seven percent of communication is verbal. Mm-hmm. The words. Seven. Ninety-three percent is your nonverbals. Rolling your eyes. Parents to the kids, kids to the parents, spouses to each other. Right? Sign. I had a friend who made a New Year's resolution one year to work on sign. I thought, that's brilliant. That motivated me. But think about it. It's not even a verbal. It's just a little bit of breath, and it says so much, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Have you been in a meeting where people are like, but they're not even talking. You're like, oh, what do you want to say? I want to look like I'm talking to my little toddler grandkids. Use your words. Mm-hmm. You get so frustrated, right? That, is just such a frust- that can be such a frustrating thing. Eye contact. What kind of eye contact are you ha- eye contact are you having? What kind of eye glare are you having? tone of voice, our gestures, our body language, all of it, that's all part of our healthy communication. Don't discount that, 93% wrapped up in all of that. Colossians three twelve through 13 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I love that this verse here because it's talking about clothing yourself. Now, I want to know, did anyone get up this morning and weigh the options? Clothe myself. <laughs> don't clothe myself. Right? No one thought that. It was automatic. What am I clothing myself with? Right? This word is, in the Greek, is it called enduo. And I think this is a fantastic word picture because it actually means to clothe oneself. It means sinking into a garment. Yesterday, we had a Taekwondo tournament at our Impact Center, and Jen and I were there, and Jen had a long week because her husband, Drew, was in New York City all week. And so, you know, at the end of a long week, you're just wanting to get, you want to sink into your garment. And so, just excuse me for a minute, guys, but there was a girl, a young woman, who had on really cute leggings and a tunic. I know this is not really interesting to you as much, but we were looking at how cute she looked and how comfy she looked, and we're like, oh. Jen said, I want to be wearing that. I'm like, I want to be wearing that. My week was long enough for that. And she looks cute. Your go-to. you're sinking into garment. That's what we need to be going... That's how we need to be approaching this. Same thing. Our sinking into, our going to. Our compassion. Kindness. Humility. Gentleness. Patience. Bearing with each other. Clothing ourselves. Second nature. And I want to encourage you, too. Jeff talked a little bit about this on the minor section. But I want to encourage you. If somebody has just frustrated you hurt you. And there's been one infraction, one communication, one comment, one disappointment. Don't let that rob you of the relationship because that's not the definition of who they are in general. If there's a pattern of something, then you need to address the pattern, but don't let one episode of something become the definition because you got hurt or you got angry. Figure out how to resolve that. Okay. Love, love. And I'm talking about the action, the choice, The thing that we have to cultivate in here so i'm going to read it real quickly the love chapter 1 corinthians 13 verse 4 through 8 and some of the definition here love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it does not dishonor others it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres love never fails Again, that's the standard that we're working towards. There's the perfect score. So, how do we use love in conflict? Ephesians 4:15 says, "Instead, of speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ." It's not really um, there's not really a trick to this. It's just literally speaking the truth in love. It's having an other person centered, a loving spirit when you're telling, when you're dealing with a conflict. In generally dealing with people in our lives, how do we apply this? Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Colossians 3, 14 and 15 says, and over all these virtues put on love. This is the clothe yourself. This is the next verses in here after the clothe yourself. Put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Notice how love and peace go together. When we're extending love to others, we're generally experiencing peace. When we're not being humble or gentle or patient with each other, we're generally experiencing turmoil and stress in our relationships. Extend the love, get the peace. I want to give um, just a quick encouragement for... we. Um, peacekeeping versus peacemaking. I want to just share really quick about that. You know, peacekeepers will keep the peace at any cost. And that sometimes um, means making really bad choices for your relationship versus a peacemaker. Peacekeeping is a reactive thing and peacemaking is a uh, proactive thing. A peacemaker sits down and says, I know that we have something that we need to resolve, or I know there's something we need to address, or I know that there's something that's coming in the future. And I want to make sure we're on the same page, or I want to resolve conflict, or I could see this being a potential conflict. And they take a perfectly good day and bring up something difficult. And a peacekeeper is in the middle of a bad situation and thinks, how do I get out of this? How do I end this? Peace at all costs. And there usually is a lot of underlying turmoil with being a peacekeeper. I always use the example because it sounds like such a nice thing. Wait till you're like at brunch on Saturday when everything is great and everything in you is going to go, don't mess up the brunch. But you know what? That's when you're at your best and when you're feeling good and connected. That's when you need to bring up the difficult subjects. Be a peacemaker. Make the peace. Okay. Love means making the tough choice, the choice that's right for the other person. And that leads us into the last major I want to talk about. And number four is selflessness or other person centeredness. Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 8 is a great great passage. And if you've been here for any time, you'll hear Jeff talk about this. We talk about this in our premarital counseling class as well or even just in marriage counseling. If you want to have a good marriage, there are tons of good books that are great tools, but this is the key right here. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each, each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And again, that's perfection. We can work at putting each other's needs and wants above our own. And, you know, we do this in the simple things all the time. It's common courtesy, right? When you're at work or at a building with an elevator, you don't rush the other person to get in first because it needs your way over somebody else's, right? There's common courtesy. We do this at home. What are we going to watch on TV, mm-hmm. right? We take turns. But you need to take it to the next step. What about in the major areas? How are we being other person-centered? How are we living that out? Even if you're going through a rough patch, the best way to get past that, honestly, is to be focused on other people. And that seems counterintuitive to what the world would tell you. But it's interesting. Christopher Reeves, if you remember him, the actor who was, played Superman and he suffered that tragic accident, and he was not a believer. But he would say, when I was at my worst, I would find opportunities to help other people. And even magazine articles will tell you, oh, you want to feel better about yourself. If you're having a hard time, find someone less fortunate to help. And it's because it's innate. It's God-given. When we're able to focus on someone else, our issues become into perspective. They don't become as big. When we dwell, they become bigger than they actually are most of the time. I want to encourage you to maybe do a social media experiment this week. Try to make your social media 100% other person centered. So encourage, comment, ask questions, build somebody up. Just, just be whatever you can that would do whatever you can that would benefit the other person. And if you don't have any social media, no Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, nothing, then maybe do that in, through um, mail. Write some cards, make some phone calls. Just say, hey, I'm thinking about you, and I just want to know, I hope you're having a good week. But try making it, do an experiment for a week and see what that brings in your relationships. You know, it was funny. When I was walking in, someone asked, how are the grandkids doing with Liam and Lorelei and their physical challenges? And I was giving them an answer, but I said, "I'm all of us, I know Kim and Jen and I talk about this all the time, every time we walk into Children's, we're th- so thankful that what we're experiencing is not what we're watching in the halls Mm. because that's an easy way to adjust your perspective like that. You know, as hard as that is, and Jen talked about the unknown, it is excruciating to deal with kids with long-term illness, which we have done and now my daughters are doing, and it is difficult to just put the unknown in God's hands. As a mom, you want to fix and protect, and you can't do that, unfortunately. So I'm super grateful and super thankful when I see what's in the hall compared to what all that I have to deal with. And I'm so thankful that we have them. That, for me, as, as, as hard as I'm having a, a time with something, that, for me, changes my perspective. So, again, just getting other person-centered. I would love to encourage you this week to sit down with your family and discuss what are the majors for you. And maybe it's, maybe it's even with your siblings, if you're adults and your siblings. Or maybe you're caring for aging parents with your siblings. But what are the majors for you? So sit, I'm going to encourage you to sit down and discuss the majors for you guys.
0: As we close off here, I just want to encourage you all to come back, if you could, on Wednesday because we have so many other things we'd like to say, but we can't get it all out on Sundays. So Wednesday night is 6 o'clock. We're back here. We'll have pizza. We have child care. If you'd like to join us, please do that. We'll kind of stay on this topic. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for this awesome day you've given to us. Thank you so much that we can spend this time together. And Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us apply what we have learned this morning to our relationships. To major on the majors, Lord God, and not major on the minors to help each other grow and become the people you've created us to be. Help us work together, Lord God. Help us strive together to become more like your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Have a great, great week.